But with that, we are in the book of Exodus, and we're studying the Exodus story in the book of Exodus. And I've, I've told you often that the Exodus is the defining act of salvation in the Old Testament. It, it kind of vividly portrays how God saves his people, how he redeems them, how he frees us. And uh, so far, it's been all background info, right? We, we talked about how the Israelites had been uh, in Egypt for 400 years now. And then uh, God raised up uh, miraculously. He saved a young baby named Moses and then raised him up in Pharaoh's home and then called him to actually go and rescue his people. And Moses had all kinds of issues. You know, if you think I got issues, God would never use me. Modus, Modus, Moses, see, he stuttered too. See, that was an illustration. Uh, Moses uh, said he couldn't talk well, that he stuttered. He also, though, he, he murdered a man. He ran from God. Yet God continued to reach out and he called him at age 80 from a burning bush, Jesus called him and said, Moses, you're gonna be my man to go and rescue my people. And Moses doubted and he was afraid. And so God promised to use also his brother Aaron, but his plan was still in motion. He was gonna use Moses. And I believe he wants to use and will use you. And he's gonna use Moses to help free God's people. Now, ultimately, the Exodus really, it points forward to what Jesus does for us, that Jesus comes as a greater Moses and he rescues all of his people from an oppressor in Satan and in sin. And he rescues us and frees us through his shed blood on the cross that whoever would simply follow, who would trust him, they'd be made free and made whole and made new. And so all of this points forward to Jesus' work on the cross. And what we're gonna see today is the first time that Moses goes into Pharaoh and you know the line, right? What's he say? Let what? Let my people go. And he's speaking for God. And so we're gonna pick it up there. We're gonna see what happens, how, how a Pharaoh responds to God trying to free his people, how this oppressor kind of fights back. But with that, let me pray. And then we're gonna dive into the text. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your grace, uh, for your goodness, um, as we sang about this morning, for the simplicity of the gospel as well, that it's simply trusting you, that you do the work. We'll see that in the text this morning as well. Father, I, uh, I pray that your spirit would come and teach me even as I teach, that uh, Holy Spirit, you would, um, I, I would work in our hearts and I pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects, he would deceive us and draw us from you but instead change us and make us more like Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen. Well, Moses goes into Pharaoh, Moses and Aaron go into Pharaoh and they say, let my people go. And there's this consistent pattern in the text where uh, with every step uh, towards redemption, towards freedom, the enemy puts on a counterattack that with every step towards redemption and towards freedom, there's a greater affliction that rises. So like every step that God makes through Moses to free his people, the enemy through Pharaoh makes another counter step toward him uh, to, to keep his people captive. I believe that happens in our own lives too, that when somebody comes to know Jesus Christ, they, they take a step toward him in faith, 
And often, maybe you've experienced this, then the enemy will counterattack with, with some other form of affliction to try to uh, negate or discourage what God is doing and starting to do in someone's life. And it happens here. So with that in mind, uh, let's, let's read and we're gonna see how God begins to free his people. And I think this follows a similar pattern to how he frees us today. Exodus chapter five, I'm gonna read the first 14 verses here. Afterwards, so after Moses had gotten back into Egypt and he had done some signs for the Israel people, uh, the Hebrew people, and they believed, afterward, Moses and Aaron went and they said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a fast or feast to me, excuse me, in the wilderness. But Pharaoh, Pharaoh, by the way, just means, if you haven't been with us, Pharaoh just as a title, it means king. We're not sure which Pharaoh this is. He's the king of Egypt and the text will sometimes call him the king of Egypt. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Who is he that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. And then they said, Moses and Aaron back to him. They said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord, our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. See, God's people were slaves in Egypt. They were building store cities and had built store cities for Pharaoh and they were building his kingdom and his empire. And he was afraid of this whole population of people. And so he increased their burdens over and over and made them do more and more work under harsher and harsher conditions, keeping them trapped. The same day then, here's what Pharaoh does after this first move to free them. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen He said, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as you did in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and they said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent saying, complete your work, your daily task every day as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten. And they were asked, well, why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as you did in the past? Now, there's a lot of things to notice here. But maybe the most obvious one that you see, you're like, I've never heard of anybody using straw to make bricks. Like, I know the story of the three little pigs. And there was a house of straw and a house of bricks, but there was no house of bricks with straw. Like, does that make sense? Have you ever heard of bricks with straw in them? Well, uh, it's it's unique because when you uh, look at this historically and you start to research it a little bit, this was actually done with intent where in Egypt, it was one of the few places in history where they would add straw to bricks. And the reason they did that 
is because uh, with the extreme cost of firing bricks in a land that um, without any abundant source of fuel to, to, to fire the bricks, the Egyptians discovered something that wasn't widely known, that bricks made out of mud and straw are three times stronger than those made merely out of dried mud or clay. They're three times stronger with the straw. And, and the scientific reason for this, there's actually science behind it, is that the straw releases humic acid into the mud and it helps to harden the bricks. So this was a practice you wouldn't find really uh, anywhere else in the world. It was something that they discovered and that they used there. And uh, so for them to continue making bricks without straw in a place, uh, then they weren't hardening as fast. They would also have to go out and and find straw themselves in order uh, to be able to make bricks. And yet the, the burden that was on them to make X number of bricks every day or every week or every month, it, it wasn't reduced at all. It was kept right where it was and they had to continue working and continue doing all these things because Pharaoh set taskmasters over them. Now, I don't know what your story is, but a lot of people, when they come and start to come to faith in Jesus and they start to hear the gospel and they start to respond Oftentimes, see, there's an enemy after your soul. There's taskmasters over you that will suddenly start to inflict greater tasks upon you. Uh, It could be just a burden of, I'm not measuring up. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I've got to achieve here. It could simply be chaos in your life where everything goes haywire and there's no ability really to continue trusting or uh, maybe some other, just you name the burden that just suddenly falls on you and you're like, man, I was, things were going so good. I, I learned about the gospel. I was, I was moving towards Christ. I was learning all these things and then this happened. I don't think that's probably an accident. Certainly not a coincidence. There's a taskmaster who wants to burden you with more and more things so that you don't come to the free and grace of Jesus. Have you experienced that? If not, maybe you've seen it happen in other people's lives where there's this, this, this affliction, this greater affliction, every step you take towards redemption, more affliction comes. And it gets amped up and amped up until one day Jesus is gonna totally rescue us and that'll be great news, won't it? See, that's the pattern of how God saves his people. And it's the pattern of how his enemy, see, if you've, if you've never trusted Jesus, he's gonna do everything he can to keep you from trusting him. If you have trusted him, he's gonna afflict you with more and more burdens so that you have no joy in him. Now, uh, just one more thing here on the evidence uh, for scripture I wrote down on this whole brick and straw thing. This is actually evidence for the reliability of scripture. Did you know that? Because as I mentioned, there's nowhere else in the world where they put straw in with bricks. Did they? I mean, we, we hear it and we go, that's strange. I've never heard of that. Well, in a land where this straw brick practice was unknown, kind of like here, you read that and you go, that's strange. And if this story was made up and written hundreds of years later in a foreign place, as many critics of the text would assert, how would they know to tell this story of straw of brick being made with straw? Clearly it was written by somebody in the know who was there namely Moses. It's, it's evidence, and there's evidence like this all throughout scripture for its reliability and its historicity. 
Uh, more could be said about that. But also the other thing too is there's early Egyptian records that show it was a common practice for the tallies of bricks to be recorded by people. And in verse 14, it said, uh, the Israelite foremen who were appointed by Pharaoh's slave drivers were beaten and they were asked by the Egyptian taskmasters, why didn't you meet your quota? We're keeping track. We're keeping track. Well, this really leads into um, what I would say is the difference between oppression and the gospel or even religion and the gospel. See, if you've, uh, if you've not trusted Jesus and you're, you're not a Christian, um, it's probably more oppression toward you. If you, you are a Christian, we have a tendency to dive back into religion. And the opposite of this is the gospel. Let me see if I can make sense of those comments and have this make some sense. So before I do though, let's keep reading. Look at verse 15. It says, then the foremen of the people of Israel, they came and they cried to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? So now these are the Israelite leaders who have been beaten. They're, they're going to Pharaoh. They're saying, no straw is given to your servants. Yet they say to us, make bricks and behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault, it's in your own people. It's in the taskmasters. Look what Pharaoh says. But he said, you are idle. You are idle. Now, were they idle? No, they'd been working their tails off to make bricks and they couldn't keep up because they had to go get straw. He says, you're idle, you're idle. That's why you say, let us go sacrifice to the Lord because you're lazy. So go now and work. No straw will be given to you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. Now I said the Exodus is really a vivid picture of how God saves us. And what we're seeing here is a vivid picture of oppression of where uh, there's a taskmaster oppressing God's people, holding them down from knowing the freedom that he offers. Um, and it's also a vivid picture, I believe, of religion because religion can be a form of oppression. You're like, that's a strange thing for a pastor to say. Aren't you religious, Josh? Well, here's, we'll talk about that, but here's what I mean by religion, not uh, what you believe and your faith, but religion is all about doing. It's all about uh, you are idle, you are idle, you're not doing enough, do more. Religion, the Oxford Dictionary uh, defines it as something that is treated or regarded with a devotion and a scrupulousness that's appropriate to worship. In other words, you just do things over and over and over trying to worship and trying to gain favor. Well, look at the oppression here of Pharaoh towards God's people. He said, you, here's what oppression says. Here's what religion says. You're not doing enough work harder. You're not doing enough, work harder. Pharaoh told him that, right? He said, you're idle, you're idle, work harder. You must deliver. You gotta deliver. You know what religion says? Religion says, get yourself cleaned up. You're not quite clean enough yet. Do a little more, work harder, serve more. Why aren't you involved in this? Why aren't you giving this amount? Why aren't you doing this? Why are you still so messed up? Work harder, do more. It's not enough. And religion 
perpetrates this lie that somehow, if you somehow do enough, you'll be loved. If you somehow do enough and get your life cleaned up enough, you'll be saved. Religion is all about what you do. And I'm telling you, there's one thing that religion is right about. It's never enough. It's never enough. And, and, and as a Christian, you may fall into this trap thinking, you know, you know that, that you're saved by grace and Jesus has saved you and you're new. I can buy into this lie. I think Martin Luther said that we all kind of default into it. And you can think, oh, if I, I, I just got to do a little more. I got to be more involved. I'm not doing enough. I got to be more active. I got to accomplish this. I got to fill in the blank. It never ends. It's never enough. See, let's compare religion then to the gospel, oppression to the gospel. Here's what Jesus' gospel says. You can never do enough. He agrees with religion in this, but then he says, not work harder, but let me do it for you. Let me do it for you. That's the gospel. See, the religion says, keep doing, get yourself cleaned up. Jesus says, you're never gonna do it. You'll never make it. Let me clean you up. Come to me and then you'll be clean. See, Pharaoh said, you're idle, you're idle. Go work, you must deliver. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me. I'm gentle, I'm lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Religion says you're not doing enough, do more. You're idle, work harder. The gospel says you can never do enough. Come to Jesus, his burden is light. Let him do it for you. Now, how does this play out in everyday life, right? I mentioned if you're a Christian, sometimes you might buy into this idea that, and I'll just tell you, as a pastor, I feel this acutely. Like, um, you know, there's, there's 400 some people who call Wawasee home. And so they all have different expectations of maybe what the church should be like, or, or in my head anyway, there's all these expectations of what I need to be accomplishing and doing. And uh, if I'm not careful, that becomes this whole people pleasing mentality that I gotta please all these people and it's never enough. And Josh, you're not doing it, work harder. You ever feel that in your own life? I mean, I know you can't maybe totally relate to that, but I'm just telling you that's how it plays out in my life. But what is it for you? Oh, maybe I, I, I gotta do these things so that someone will love me. I gotta, what is it? The gospel says, not D-O, but D-O-N-E, Jesus has already done it all on the cross. In my case, applying it to my own life, Jesus is the senior pastor. First Peter tells us that he's the chief shepherd, not Josh. I'm just the lead guy here. That's, that's plenty burden enough. I don't need to be the main guy, right? And, and he's the one ultimately in charge. So I can simply do my best under the circumstances and take a nap. That might be the most practical explanation of the gospel there is in terms of your Christian life and living it out. Do the best you can to honor Jesus under the circumstances and then take a nap, learn to rest. 
See, if you've never trusted Jesus, you might be held up by the fact that you think you've got to do enough good things for him to ever love you, and that's so untrue. The reality is you take all your junk to him, and he loves you, and then he makes you new. You're never going to do it on the front end. If you've already trusted Jesus, you might be buying into the lie that you have to do all these things to maintain that love. The reality is, no, he loves you. It's done. It's accomplished. It's finished. Rest in him. His burden is easy. It's light. Amen? See, and in in the Exodus, we get a vivid picture of how God frees us and a vivid picture of that the contrast of oppression and religion with the gospel. And every time there's a move towards redemption and towards freedom, there's more affliction. By the way, I wonder, you know, today's Mother's Day moms, do you struggle with that? It's never enough. You know what? Um, I live with a mom and I know that's the case probably for all of you because I know it is for her. And uh, maybe you have little tyrants at home, little dictators who uh, determine uh, when you'll sleep, when you'll eat, if you will. Listen, it's enough. Love them, rest, do your best, and then take a well-deserved nap. Maybe even today. But greater affliction, it doesn't only meet the people who are being redeemed, it also meets the people who are helping to redeem. Because see, Moses here is kind of, he's not the guy necessarily totally being redeemed. He's the one who's leading. And then see, look at verse 20, Moses and Aaron, they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them. The Israelites who had gone into Pharaoh, that Pharaoh said, get back to work. And Aaron and Moses are waiting. And as they came out from Pharaoh and they said to them, they said to Moses and to Aaron, the Lord look on you and judge. Compare this to the last chapter where they were, rejoicing and worshiping God that he had done this great thing. He remembered them and was gonna free them. Now they've turned on their leader and they said, the Lord look on you and judge because you've made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and you've put a sword in their hand to kill us. I wonder what's, um, what's your plan for how God would redeem and save and bring freedom to you? chances are God's plan doesn't line up with your plan or with my plan. See, the plan for the Israelites was that uh, Moses and Aaron are here. We're going to, we're leaving tomorrow. This is great news. It's done. Time for vacation. God's plan was, uh, it's going to be really hard and there's going to be more suffering, but I'm going to use that in your life to make you more like my son. What's your plan for redemption? It's probably different than God's plan. And uh, we respond a lot of times like the Israelites do, don't we? We get mad at God. We get mad at other people who are leading and uh, whatever the case is. And we just say, that's, that's not how it's supposed to go. Why don't you just, you put a sword in his hand to kill me. Unbelievable how you made this happen. Don't you care? God, don't you care? I thought you were going to free me. And that's what they fire back at Moses. Then Moses turned to the Lord. Moses didn't get it either. He said, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? You ever guilty of that one? Like, God, why did you even put me here? Why did you make me this way? Why why haven't you fixed this? Remember, God's plan for redemption might be much different than our own plan. 
For since I came to Pharaoh, he said, to speak in your name, he's done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. It is not on my timetable, God. Why isn't this done yet? God's plan is different than your plan. And here's what you need to remember is that when greater affliction comes, you need to remember that God can work and will work your troubles into triumph. He can work your trouble into triumph. Here's what I mean by that. Let's look at what what God does, how he responds to Moses. He, He responds by reminding him of the truth. He says, it says, but the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I'll do to Pharaoh for with a strong hand, he will send them out, Moses. With a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. See, God is reiterating what he promised would happen, but he doesn't give Moses all the details of how it'll happen, does he? He just says, here's what's gonna happen. Hang on and trust me, I'll turn this trouble into triumph. He will drive you out. So God spoke to Moses. He said, Moses, I'm the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, his personal name, he said, I did not make myself known to them. I also established, in other words, but I did to you, Moses, you can trust me. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I've heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. I've remembered my covenant. So say this to the people of Israel, I'm the Lord, I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. You shall know that I'm the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. He's saying, I will do it, but notice what he doesn't say. And here's the agenda for the next six months, day to day of exactly what's gonna happen. No, he just says, trust me, I'm the Lord, I'm gonna do this. It's the same for us. See, uh, God keeps his promises. That's what he's reminding Moses and his people. He keeps his promises. In fact, it happens all the time in the Old Testament to Joshua. In Joshua, Joshua told the people, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord made to the house of Israel failed. They all came to pass. And you know what one of his biggest promises is? That he works everything. If you love him and you're called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28, he will work everything toward the good in the end. He'll work it for good. He doesn't take that really awful, horrible circumstance and say it is good. He just says he's gonna work it for good in your life. In the end, kind of here to the Israelites, he's saying, listen, I will do it. And they're like, when? Just trust me, it will happen. And you're like, well, what about this hard circumstance? You say you're gonna work it for good, when? It will happen, trust him. If it's not good yet, it's not the end, is it? He'll work it for good. As for you, uh, Joseph told his brothers, you meant evil against me when they sold him into slavery, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. He works horrible, awful situations. He will work all your triumph, or excuse me, all your trouble into triumph as you trust him. So trust him, keep moving forward. Verses nine through 13, we'll close with this. Moses spoke then, all of this to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and their harsh slavery. And I can't necessarily blame them, can you? Have you ever just been in that spot? It's so hard, it's so frustrating right now. The last thing you really wanna hear is, 
God loves you. He's going to work it for good. It'll be great. Here's a smile. Like, get out of my face. Maybe that's you today. You're like, dude, shut up and sit down. But it doesn't change the truth. The Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his hand. And then Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people, they haven't listened to me. How will Pharaoh listen to me if I'm prime of uncircumcised lips? But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, and he gave them a charge. We're not told exactly what it is other than, listen, get to work, Moses. Keep going. Don't quit. Trust me. Follow me. He gave them a charge to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Listen, uh, as you make steps towards your redemption, whether that's trusting Jesus for the first time or uh, continuing to follow him in your life, you can expect greater affliction to come your way. But when it does, trust Jesus because he will turn your trouble into triumph. He can, and as you trust him, he will. And it may not be for decades, but he will, and he's good trust him. Let's pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. We thank you, uh, Lord, that you are faithful. As we sang already this morning, all of our lives you've been faithful, and so we can trust you to be faithful in the future. Jesus, I thank you too that it's all due to your grace that you make us new, that you redeem us. And so I I pray today for each one uh, who hears my voice, if they've never trusted you, that today might be the day they respond to your grace that they turn uh, from the idea that they have to keep doing more to be made right with you because it will never be enough. Help them instead to trust you that you would make them new. And for those of us, Jesus, who have trusted you, help us to to, uh, refute the lie that we have to do more to somehow maintain or earn or uh, increase your favor. The truth is it's done. You'll never love us less and you'll never love us more than you do right now. So help us to rest in you. Lord, we love you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name.